Who you are defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you by Stanford eCorner. On today's episode, we have Brad Bow, co-founder and executive chairman of Lime, a smart bike share company. Before Lime, Brad co-founded Kinzen Capital and established and grew Tencent's U.S. presence. Here's Brad. It's my pleasure to be here and really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, you know, listen to the story of Lime. So I, today I want to go to, going to be sharing with you a little bit of story and a journey of Lime, which is a 21 months, year, um, 21 months old company. Now that we're really a young company. But then the topic today is not about just Lime. The topic is about a lot of uh, uh, impossibles. That impossible of a company can do well and then do good at the same time. The impossible you know, scenario of how a company can grow in really fast. Well, that you know, not crashing cities or you know, do the things that uh, uh, the cities or community doesn't want it. And I think the story is about you know, can we reinvent the, uh, the urban transportations, right? That can we you know, build step by step towards what a modern urban transportation will look like? And can we fight against all the challenges we have? You know, commonly in the city. So I think the you know, I noticed that a lot of people have heard about Lime. There are not many that have tried it. I think it's due to you know availability issues that in the cities you live in or working. But we're working on that. So rest assured on that. Uh, first of all, right, the micro trend of urbanization that is you know that is non-stoppable, and I think that trend is going to happen regardless what. And then the second part that comes with it is the, uh, the traffics and the pollutions that everyone experiences on a daily basis. And some choose to ignore it, but it's happening. And I think that it was just getting worse and worse. And when we look at globally that, you know, in terms of the traffic and pollutions or that, the, in the past, the solution is to throw more car at it, right? Let's build more road. Let's throw more cars at it. That doesn't solve the problem. You actually make it worse. I think I've been living in a, in a you know, Bay Area for about 15 years. I can clearly notice how the change you know, has been happening over time. And many of the uh, you know, in the audience probably experienced the same. But then when we look at it, you know, what is the most efficient way to get around for the first and last mile? If we look at the data, shows that 70% of the traffic in the, U- in the US uh, is a single occupancy. And also that you know, 50% plus of them are less than a mile. And you put that two together, that do we really need to drive a seven-seater SUV to you know, get around, go to work, or uh, just buy groceries, or even just grab a coffee? And the answer probably is no. And it's not about only just the cost, it's about pollution, it's about shared space, how we can utilize them. It's about the uh, cost effectiveness, and it's also a matter of fact that about how we connect to the communities, how do we connect with each other, how we stay healthier, active, and more social. And, you know, for me, that something went wrong. <laughs> I grew up in China, and bike was a form of transportation for us the, to get around, and, you know, not only in... Uh, in high school, but also in college. And even when after I moved here, I still own like about eight to nine different bikes. I get around anytime I could on a bike. And that's my form of transportation, right? And is that only true 
for China, which is known for the kingdom of bicycle. Then we look around the globe. That's UK, that's Amsterdam, that's Copenhagen, that's many other places. That's bike and alternative transportation is a norm of transportation. But why that is not a case in the US? If we look at Amsterdam or Copenhagen, they're definitely leading the trend with 30, 40% of the transportations on, are on bikes and alternative modes of transportations. And in the US, the number is 1%. Right? That 1% number, you know, then we gotta ask ourselves, right? That is the weather here worse than Amsterdam? Is the road here narrower than Amsterdam? And what is the reason? What does stop us from adopting more? Right, cars and cultures, and that's the only thing. It's not that we're, you know, that the, uh, there's no, you know, it's not there's a real blocker from us to get there. Then it's really perceptions, cultures, cars, and do we embrace it? And then we look at it, you know, what are the things that we can help users, can help our community to get over the hurdle? Now, the way to convince them to use it or adopt it is not like, say, you're doing a noble thing, therefore you have to put in, you know, twice as high the price and do twice as much effort to make it happen. The better way to convince people is to, why don't we provide you a service, a solution that's faster and cheaper and more convenient? That is the way that we think this will, will generate a massive behavior shift and really make it happen, right? Our goal is not about the 1% of bike traffic in the US, that how much market share we can get. Our goal is that how we push that 1% to 10%, to 20, you know, dare we say to 50% of the traffic. And that's the 50% of the traffic in the US city today, less than one mile and it's single occupancy. There's no reason we cannot do that other than we're working together. So with that in mind, when we look at the market, right, that the first and last mile is, you know, from a business perspective, that we, if we want to have a business that's sustainable, that can really push for big vision and big goals, it has to have the economic, you know, uh, foundation for it. So we look at the market, is there a market, is there you know, big enough to support it, or the R&D goes into it, or the uh, efforts, or the team are going to build. And is there a market that, you know, that the user are feeling that pain point on a daily basis? And that is the 300 million trip on a daily basis in the US that we're talking about. And just as a reference, that Uber and Lyft doing about 10 million trips on a daily basis. And this is a market that we're looking at is 30x bigger than that. So when we get started, right, that we were called many times where the crazy was. That, you know, someone would say, oh, this thing hasn't been tried before, right? Nobody use it. But is that really user don't want to use it? Or is that a product design, the technology available at the time, or the pricing point doesn't make sense? And, you know, city bikes and a Ford bike, how many tried Ford bike? Okay, how much you paid for it? It's $10 a day, right? You know, nine or $10 a day in New York is a little bit more expensive. Why you walk a couple blocks trying to take a bike out of, a, out of the dock and also you have to walk a couple blocks when you get there, return it, and pay more than Uber? It just doesn't make sense. And that's on top of that, you, you, you probably also realize you paid for it already. So it's 50 million tax dollars to build that thing. 
and only in CBD area, right? If you're in the neighborhoods, you know, good luck. You will never find one. And so those are the things that is not user don't want it. It's the product at the time was not ready for a massive adoption. It's the design of the system for the convenience and the pricing point that is not there. So when we start a company, we focus on the three A's. I made it simple for my team. <laughs> the uh, accessibility, availability, and affordability. If one of that is not there, we cannot expect a user willing to pay you know, twice as more expensive than, uh, than Uber, right? In order to support it. That's just not logical. So those are the three things we work on and to solve that problem. And the second part is that, oh, this thing will, you know, the business model will never work, that the idea will burn money like hell. But we validate that wrong too. I think for the, for the right product, right experience, and also the efficiency uh, we provided to the users, that users are more than happy to pay. So you probably notice a few things that, you know, there are a lot of uh, social media posts about Lime, right, that you probably see online on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, you know, on Facebook or not, right? You know, raise your hand if you saw a single user said Lime product is too expensive. There's just not. You know, that is the amazing thing that we delivered over 20 million trips ever since we launched the first market. I yet to see one person say, Lime is too expensive. And also users are really embracing it by not only writing it, also share on all kinds of you know, social medias that the fun they have, the, uh, the, the time they save, the efficiency that they generated, and also you know, kind of like the memory they record as a kid or the, uh, the proudness of that they contributed to saving the traffic and, and, and also uh, you know, the, uh, the, you know, to reduce the pollution, right? What is the last time you saw someone jump on in a Uber and take a selfie? Raise your hand. I think that's the difference. That we're providing the value, but also beyond that, we help the user to recognize that they're also contributing to reducing the traffic and contributing to reducing the pollutions. And that is what we're proud of as a company. It's not only about Lime, it's the movement we're generating. And the, uh, it's the, uh, you know, some of the perceptions, some of the culture behavior shift that we hope to push forward. And the third thing that, yeah, you know, they end up tree, on the trees, they end up in the lake. It did happen in different markets. We got, we found our uh, bikes and scooters end up like all kinds of different things. But I think that's a challenge that um, there's always the small percentage of bad actors that will do crazy things. You know, should we be deterred from it? Should we punish the 99% by, you know, just owning the damage done by the 1%? We as a company that we think is the only right thing to do is we focus on the majority of the good actors rather than punish everyone because of there's 1% bad actor out there. We will be punished by that. You know, a lot of system designed in the world is not about how do we give the 99% good actors the good, uh, you know, the best experience and the most efficient and, and uh, most value-adding experience? It's designed to prevent that 1% and everyone else got punished. So that, I think, it can be solved by technologies. We can further improve on that, and that could be further solved by educations. I'll give you one example of that. We all went through the security check at the airport. Right, that the, uh, I'm not saying we should take that system out, <laughs> don't get me wrong. 
But the reality is, by being all the good actors, by part participating in the program in order to ensure that we're all safe, we are punished by that potentially 1% of bad actor out there. It's necessary for us to ensure the safety and the securities of that, but that means we lined up every single one of us, went through the security check, the back checks, and take off your shoes, take off your belt. It's not, you know, we're all published, punished by that. So I think there are good reasons for the system to be in place, but in our case, that, you know, can we solve it by technology, by sensors, by detections, by self-use, you know, user reports or that, rather than make it rather difficult to use, just like the dog-based system. It's not a good user experience. It doesn't take you to your destinations. If you cannot return to the dock, you got, you know, penalties. And by being a good actor. So then we look at what do we do, right? That we as a company, we didn't start as a bike share company or scooter share company. We tried and tested all kinds of products and to fit in the different user uh, cases. So we started with bike, we added e-bikes to it, and then we launched the scooters, and now we're going to launch the, uh, the, the shared cars and to accommodate different user cases, different use need. And this is the way that we see that you know, we as a company, not a product company, but we are rather a user company that will provide it what a user needed. And it always will be you know, free-floating, take you end-to-end, and also will be much cost-effective. So again, goes back to the three things that we focus on. Very accessible, and very available, and also very affordable. And this is the way that, you know, we, we create a value for the users and convince them that, you know, this is the right thing to do, rather than, you know, hey, can you spend twice as more in order to support it because we are a good company? I, I don't think that's a logical way to do business. Um, that, there you go, the, uh, <laughs> the three A's we focus on, and, the, uh, and also that for the company, the, the mission for the company that I summarize are three E's. I simplify everything, so my whole team will easy to remember that you know, my goal is that any employee of Lime, if you ask them the question, they will give you an answer immediately. So the three E's as our mission in this mission statement is efficiency, eco-friendly, and also enjoyable. And we do the things that to make three things happen at the same time. And here is a animation of how we power the city of Paris. Uh, the, you know, we not only connect the entire city together, this is the rendering of 16 hours. So we're not only connecting them all together, but also that we cover a lot of neighborhoods are traditionally considered as transportation desert. There's no public service. You know, Uber driver doesn't want to go there, and all kinds of things. And same as many other cities we launched with. So we're not a, just a replacement of the cars that users take, but also we're a complementary system to the existing, you know, system. That in Paris alone, that we, uh, we're powering over 30,000 trips on a daily basis. And the, uh, and the fun factor is that we launched over uh, 12 countries in the last three months. And you know, New Zealand is one of the market, very interesting. We're uh, App Store ranking number one in New Zealand. And it took us 24 hours to get there that without, <laughs> without any marketing. Literally, we launched and we're number one and we stay number one ever since. So that's how users want it, right? Not by attractive marketing, but really by their, their daily need and daily demand. And out of the, uh, 
out of the use cases that 34% of our users are using it to replace car trips that they would otherwise that are using a car, you know, either driving their, their own car or using a car share service. And out of the 17% are replacing uh, the public transit, but also this is not entirely a replacing. We also helped increasing the utilization on the public transit because we have the solution for the first and last mile, which is the biggest challenge for uh, public transit. And 40% of the users end up or started from public transit. So it's very complementary to the system. And 37% that use that to replace long walking. You know, that this one is a little bit debatable. Right? Is that really good thing or bad? <laughs> but I, I would say though users choose to use them, that uh, is to save time. And that time could be shifted to do other things like exercising. So it's a better option for the user to optimize their daily, uh, daily work and, and also time. And then the other part of that is, you know, in terms of like the, the, the walking side, for the business, on the business side, right, this is a market can never be monetized before. There's an entire blue ocean that, you know, never be monetized before. It's not because it cannot be monetized. It's there's no right product and business model to do that. But the last piece is a little bit uh, uh, controversial, right? Maybe when it comes to transportation, we're just lazy. We just want to get there instead of putting the work. Maybe that's you know not the right way to put it. But I think that the uh, we are not here to determine how users live their life. We're here to provide options for them to choose from, and that's the option that we choose. We we provide them. It doesn't not uh, prohibit the user from walking, but it does provide the option if they want to get there faster. Right? To me, that you know that's one of the things that I struggle on a daily basis when I'm in San Francisco running between the meetings and, and uh, come to the public transit. So we launched the first market in June last year, and we're roughly about uh, one year and four months uh, ever since we launched the first market. And now we're in over 140 markets. And as I mentioned, that we're in uh, 12, 12 uh, countries already. And we're you know, ranked really high in, all the mar uh, in all the, almost all the, the uh, countries we launched with. And this is based on zero marketing. So we don't even have an internal you know, marketing team, right? And a lot of people ask me, what is your CAC, right? Anyone in entrepreneurship that knows what CAC is, right? Okay, so what is your cost of acquisition? And my, <laughs> my answer is zero. We don't have user acquisition cost. But I think that is the really focusing on the, uh, the real world challenge, that really focus on the value addings is the best user acquisition strategy. We, are, we generate over 20 million trips, as I mentioned, and we're generating and, you know, uh, users and the trips way faster than you know, Uber or Lyft or whoever it is in the past. And in terms of the revenues, that we're probably one of the fast ever growing company in the history. So if you compare from the, the market launch to you know, first 100 million, 200 million, 300 million uh, uh, revenues. That's the uh, projection. That's what we got so far. That's the projection. Projection looks like again that this is on top of that we didn't even spend marketing dollar to acquire users. The mission for the for Lime again that is not a bike share company, not a share a scooter company, but a more a urban living you know platform, if you would. 
I think the when we come when it comes to uh, technology and how that will impact our life, right? There's always the left and right, and the debates on technologies, adding values, technologies taking away our social time, technologies, you know, drawn us into the digital medias and, and forget about uh, family and all that stuff. And attention that uh, all we do is about online life, right? I'm proud of that experience. Uh, Learn a lot from it. But for Lime and for the things we're doing here is all about how we leverage technology to empower users' real-world life, to make it better, you know, more connected, well-educated, informed, more efficient, more enjoyable, and more eco-friendly. So we started with uh, transportation that, you know, it gets the user from A to B. But the user go out for a reason, right? You don't go out just for go out. You go out to work, you go out to school, to lunch, to dinner, to meeting friends, to bars, to coffee, to groceries. And the next step for us is how do we help them to connect that piece, you know, in terms of the user being more informed, be, you know, connected, and also more, much more, again, more efficient and more enjoyable. And that will be the next chapter for Lime, uh, you know, in terms of the product roadmap. And these are just some of the photos from our users all over the place that you probably find millions of them uh, online. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, that I that was the only slide I did. <laughs> so when I when I was uh, okay, I'm gonna speak here. You know, I will do one slide, right? And then what does the slide will look like? And that's the slide. The slide is that okay, what do we do things differently? Well, I think not necessarily differently from every single other companies, but uh, you know, different data we think that help us to uh, really get so far where we at. Uh, focus on the long term that determines how we make decisions and determines that how we do things that are a little bit, uh, I won't say abnormal, but we take always a harder path. That we don't hack things, we don't take shortcuts. We're a company, we're proud of that we are a company without shortcuts. That, you know, building the scooter, for example, and also bikes, that all the other companies just buy off the shelf product, right? Literally, you place the order, you have an Amazon Prime, tomorrow you have the scooter you can launch. And it took us, you know, much longer time to build a custom build, you know, hardware that is long lasting, extra safe, and also that is more durable. And it's good for the users, uh, good for the users and good for the cities since we have more advanced sensor on it. And we can, you know, detect the scooter fail over. We can know where they are, and we can make sure that the fleet is well maintained, and also the better experience for the user. That's much safer. It's a much harder path that we took, and we did it. And you know, when it comes to CD, all the wise advices we got at the time is, hey, Uber got a playbook, right? Why don't we just go in and just dump millions of scooters on the street and you know win that market, right? Argue about that later. And we deliberately didn't do that. It's a harder path. It took us six months to get at the first market. You know, SCD agreed upon that and it gave us the permit to launch. That is another hard path that we took. And there are many examples like that. That I think that, you know, when it focus on the long term, that really helps us deter, uh, to decide what is the right thing to do and to do the right things, right? That's one part of it. And I think that is very critical for us. Uh, or the matter of any companies, right? That, you know, how do we know what the thing is right or wrong? Many cases, in many cases, we know it's right or we know it's wrong. But if we don't look at it from a long-term perspective, it could be very tempting. There are a lot of things 
are very tempting if you look at it short-term-wise, <laughs> but long-term-wise, that you know it's wrong. So I think that is the, uh, one of the principles for the company where we make decisions that we always tended to, to take the harder path, tended to ignore some so-called best practices out there. It's not because we're stubborn. It's that we focus on the long term. And then the second thing is to do the right things, as I mentioned, right? We did a few other things. And for whoever that rode, you know, city bike and Ford bike in the past or whatever, bike rentals or scooter rental in the past, you were never insured. And that was a surprise come to us when I was in the research industry. The whole industry has been around, the bike industry has been around for about 200 years. The bike rental business has been around roughly about 200 years. Nobody insured the users. And we look at it legally, no, that's not required, right? Uh, for you know, all the historical reasons that, uh, uh, that insurance is not required for bike rentals and, and, and scooter rentals. But is that the right thing to do? I don't think so. So we were the first one to actually bought insurance for our users to champion that in the entire industry. Now it becomes more and more a standard for every single company that follows into it. Uh, they should provide insurance. You know, do we incur more cost, right? We can't even find an underwriter. You know, when we talk to the insurance company, they were like, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> There's no, no such a thing in the history. We never ride, underwrite a bike rental insurance. It just never be required, and nobody proactively provided, and we did. Right? We provided also cash payment for the non-smartphone, uh, the uh, non-banking non users, and analysis shows we're not going to make any money out of it, but that's the right thing to do. And same as like you know, why we further enhance our products, why we add you know advanced uh, safety features to it, and those are the things that if we look at the short term, it's not necessary help us in you know you know in the typical like fundraising things or that right. But that's the right thing to do, and that's what we did it. And with the bracket in there that we don't know all the time what is the right thing to do, right? We try, we learn, we fail, and we correct them. But at least one thing we know is what is the wrong thing to do, not to do. And one of that is if the vehicle is not safe, we shouldn't put it on the street, right? That, and we should correct any mistake that we found as soon as possible. So I think that is one of the guiding principles for, at least for me as a person and hopefully for my team to uh, go forward. And passion is another thing that I think that really matters when it comes to entrepreneurship or that. You know, uh, someone can follow what is the hardest trend and suffer ever since, right? <laughs> that, or someone can really follow their passion and enjoy it ever since. I think entrepreneurship, to me, that is not measured by, you know, whether it's a fancy, you know, glamorous CEO or founder or that, entrepreneurship is not measured by uh, whether it's a billion-dollar company or how much you earn from that. It's really measured by self, you know, uh, satisfaction and also measured by the uh, the impact that each of the person, each of the company, each of the role in the team that 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 made. And that, to me, that really matters a lot. Uh, the and that's what we believe in as well. And then immerse with great people. And that, that I benefit a, a ton of. I think the, you know, life is a learning. Life is a learning process. Life is a journey of absorbing good things and get rid of the bad things. And that I learn a lot. You know, be at the right place and working in the industries or stuff that you're passionate on. And also just 
be immersed with great people is something that I think is very helpful when it comes to entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurs that have one character, if you know or maybe you guessed, is actually very lonely. That you're, you're by yourself in many cases. There are tough decisions, there are tough times that even sometimes the investor is not fully aligned with you, right? Some of the team is not you know, necessarily agree upon. So the lonely moment that, you know, and there are always key decisions to be made. And in those cases that the great mentors that I had in the past that I learned from, the great mentors that gave me, you know, the guiding principles. Nobody can tell everyone that, how to live their life, but a, you know, a lot of the principles that does apply. So we, I benefit a lot from that. And I think that that's one of the suggestions I, I, I would you know, give. Right? If any, anyone asks me that, what are the things that advices I would give? And that's my, uh, one of my advices to, uh, to the young entrepreneurs or whoever it is. And I would pause there to take, many, any, you know, to take any questions that you might have. Yeah, so the question, there are two questions. The first question is how do, how do we view the competitors? And the second question is that, you know, whether building a marketing uh, team is a low-hanging fruit or uh, the just put scooters and bikes into cities is a better marketing strategy, right? Is it? Okay, so first on the competitor side, we just had an all-hands meeting that I shared with the team. And then, you know, the, the-, the thesis for that, uh, or the theme that I put on the wall is uh, never drive-, drive by only looking at rear view mirror. That, that's how we take it. Like that. I, I think the, you know, we always pick into the real view mirror and look at what's around us, what's behind us, and all that. But we should never drive just by looking at the real view mirror. So if you look at that, us versus the, our competitors, yeah, we are competitive and markets are dynamic, but we never make decisions based on that. So that's the, my view on that. And I think, again, goes back to here is that we focus on what is right and what's wrong. You know, in, in the competitive world, I, one of the example is when we are all supply constrained as we are today, the easy low-hanging fruit or the things we should do is we buy the cheapest device and put out there, right? And then, you know, put as many as possible. But we deliberately, deliberately didn't do that. We spent six months to design the first generation and then we iterated on monthly cadence. So in the last course of like 11, 12 months or so, that we have seven or eight different iterations on the scooter alone, and then we have you know, four major re-reps of, of the scooter. And it does slow us down in terms of deploying to the market. It does cost more in terms of R&D costs, but we believe that's the only right thing to do. And when we look at a longer term, right, I think the analogy you know, here is back in the 1990s, that there are like thousands of e-commerce sites. <laughs> and guess how many left now, right? That the long-term view will determine a company whether it has the right improvements and the right foundations that in the longer term. I think in the short term, when you look at it, it's very competitive. But if we take a longer term view, I don't think that the competitors are, you know, first matter that much. 
But second data, I think that the old competitive advantage mostly is we're doing the right things and users will recognize them. User and customers are the smartest group of people in the world. You know, anyone trying to trick them, anyone trying to take advantage of them will fail. They might fool them once or twice to begin with, but they will fail. And that is something that, uh, you know, when we look at the decision makings, that we mostly, the, uh, the term I, well, not the term I, I didn't invent it, but I, you know, reuse it for our internal meetings as a 20-mile march. The 20-mile march is what we wanted to achieve and how we step-by-step step build a company, build a product, build a services towards that. And so, you know, in terms of competition, yeah, I think that yeah, we're all in the market. It's such a, you know, new green field. Everyone will grow. When only in that the, uh, uh, the time that, you know, started to accumulate it uh, over, over, over time, then, you know, then the quality, then, uh, you know, the brandings and the user trust and safety, everything that will start to matter. And we still have strong belief that we're much better positioned in that. In terms of marketing, that I'm not saying we'll never build a marketing team. <laughs> we will, and we will build a marketing team, but more focus on consumer educations. You know, more focus on the brandings and more focusing uh, on the user and also community engagements. The uh, user acquisition that uh, I think there are two ways of user acquisition. There's one way that is really have the user are interested to, do, to increase the awareness and convert them into a real user. There's another part type of user acquisition. We probably in the Silicon Valley, we probably see it more than anywhere in the world. That the, it's not necessary user acquisition, but rather it's called a page view acquisition or download number acquisition. That is for the short term and for some other uh, back for better for good or bad, you know, financial engineering for VCs, right? So there, when when I was doing the investment, that we categorize the company into three. There's the two consumer, two C business. There's the two business called a two B business, right? And there's the two V business that's called a two VCs. And that is what I'm strongly against, right? I'm not against marketing. My major is marketing. And it's a powerful tool. It's a really great organization to have to build any great companies. But I'm against, what I'm against is that if it's unnecessary, then we shouldn't spend and burn our money to just pump up the numbers and, and do a 2VC business, right? And also that in our case that our limitation today is supply. So if we acquire the user and we don't have the vehicle ready, then we just got one more pissed off user. And that's not where we wanted to be. So I think there are a little bit of clarification that I need to explain that. It's not, you know, we, we don't want marketing at all. Marketing is a great department that will build over time. Two questions, one general, one specific. Um, China had this bike share boom in track. What did you guys learn from that? And one specific issue they had was people weren't taking this sort of last mile ride by directionally. People were sort of going in one direction. So how are you guys ameliorating that problem? Yeah, I think the, uh, we learned a lot from the... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so the question was that the, uh, there's the uh, China, the bike share uh, up and down trend in China and what we have learned from that. The second question is more a little bit more tactic, right? That user tended to take what the traffic, the wave of traffic, user tended to take one way, not bi-directional. And how do we deal with that? So I think the first part of it, yes, we, the you know answer to it is we learn a lot, and the learning that is the user will use it if it's convenient enough, 
you know, if the affordability, availability, and accessibility there, that user will use it. I think that's what we learned on the positive side. On a, on a so, not so positive side, that in a market like this, the overcompetition and the lack of regulation will not only destroy the entire industry, but also destroy the community we live in. Since every company, if we don't set up the rule right, that the game theory, the uh, you know the competitive strategy or whatnot, are incentivizing the companies to put most of the cheapest vehicle on the street as soon as possible. Right? You add that three things together, then it's a disaster. The disaster is like cheapest vehicle, fastest ever time, and also maximum volume. And it destroyed the unit economics, destroyed the, uh, the pricing, destroyed the, uh, the street parkings, and also destroyed the trust with cities and communities. So that's what we try to avoid ever since that we started, you know, the company that we, what we said to ourselves is that we're okay if we grow slower. But we're not okay that if that, you know, it becomes a really a disaster for the city. And that is one of the learning. The second part of the learning is, you know, in terms of the, uh, how we collaborate with others. You know, we, we collaborate with uh, communities and bike coalitions and all that. Right? You think that's, we are just part of the bigger movement. And we should, you know, instead of uh, being the, uh, this, the only, you know, force out there trying to do it, we, we believe that we're part of this bigger movement and we should collaborate with communities and, and also organizations to push this forward. And there's another good learning out of that is that nobody have ever seen a physical asset, you know, program has been operated at that kind of scale. So how do you even operate it, right? That I think the, the few companies in China deployed 40 million bikes in about a year. You know, 40 million, right, <laughs> in about a year. How do you even operate that? And we learned a lot from that, that, you know, how data becomes a central piece of it. How do we use that to determine the, uh, you know, the allocate, uh, the, sorry, the locations of the vehicles? How do we determine that, how it's got to rebalance and all that? And we further enhanced it with, uh, with you know, the advanced sensors and with the, uh, the tech talents we have here. And use big data to help us to further uh, optimizing the, uh, the fleet as well as uh, mitigate some of the, you know, potential problems. And the, uh, for, for the traffic pattern, I think that's, Actually, very interesting. Since in that in that part of it, that the uh, cities in China and any in the U.S. any in Europe and in many other markets just built very differently, and the user pattern is just very differently. Without going into the details, just think about one thing, right? That in China, if we if we say there are 20 million people in Beijing, they all actually live in Beijing. When we look at a city like San Francisco or Chicago or Seattle, right? San Francisco have have a population roughly about 800,000. There are another million that commute into it every day. And the pattern is entirely different, you know, compared to a, a, a city that everyone loves, just live and breathe in there. So the traffic pattern is much more uh, spread out, as we see even in Paris, right? Paris is uh, slightly different. That it has a lot of tourists as well. But then, the, uh, you know, the pattern we see is not only bi-directional, but it's kind of like representing or reassembling that the how you how you walk 
not, if you think about that you know, on a daily basis, the long trip that you take a train or drive into the city, and then you have five to seven different short trips you know, between the locations. So that, that is one of the uh, you know, patterns we notice very differently from China. Uh, so you mentioned something interesting uh, with respect uh, basically to your vision of the company. You don't identify as a bike or a scooter company. So, you know, with that in mind, where where do you want to take this, you know, in the next five to ten years? Yeah, I think the, uh, for five years I would... Huh? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's my bad. So the question is that the uh, you know since Limey is not identifying uh, itself as a bike share or the scooter share company, then the you know where we see we take Limey in a in a time frame of five or ten years. I think in a five year time frame that will further innovate and uh, further iterate on the hardware we have. Right, there are still a lot of innovation to be done. That can we provide more micro mobility you know vehicles to the users. And beyond micromobility, you know, the EVs and, you know, that uh, can we provide a, a comprehensive platform for users to get around the city. No matter it's the distance of it, no matter the outfit, no matter the purpose, no matter the, the uh, you know, the weather, that they will further enhance uh, working on that. <clears throat> and then, the, uh, you know, also what we wanted to uh, further enhance the user experience is connecting them to the local merchants and to the to the happenings, if you would, to rediscover the city. And two things that I think are very interesting to share that, you know, first is that we're redefining what is called a neighborhood. If you live in a city or not, your neighborhood is defined by how comfortably you can walk to, which in you know in an urban environment is two by two block. Right? That two by two blocks, that you know, that's your neighborhood, where you find the coffee shop you always go to, the breakfast place you always go to, and you know the like, you know dinner, right, or whatnot. Uh, with our services, with the same amount of time, that user can easily get to a neighborhood of ten by ten. It's not five x bigger. It's twenty five x bigger, in terms of the neighborhood. So you know you then rediscover the city you've been living in for a long time, kind of familiar, but you rediscovered that there's so many things you don't know about it. There's so many people you could be connected to. So that is what we, you know, by leveraging the LBS uh, or, or location, you know, data, the user, user patterns, we want to provide more information for them to know what's happening, to know, uh, you know, what are the, the other choices and options. So in five years, hopefully we'll get there as well. And then, you know, to connect them to the local merchants and happenings. And in 10 years, that I think it will further advance. There are a few things that will inevitably happen, right? The first is that most of transportation will be electrified. I don't think anyone will disagree with that, right? So how we prepared for that, how we bring, how we've accelerated electrification of modern, uh, uh, modern transportation. AV will be coming, autonomous driving will be coming. How do we provide a service layer? How do we provide the infrastructures? to get ready for the uh, autonomous driving. And then the third thing I think hopefully that will happen is we help the city to redesign it, to be more shared, to be more green, uh, you know, to be more uh, active and also healthier.
the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series is a Stanford eCorner original production supported by the venture capital firm DFJ. The stories and lessons on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. To learn more, please visit us at ecorner.stanford.edu.